Let's pray this morning as we get started in the sermon. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we know that when we dig into your word, it brings us life, gives us direction, allows us to see what we are able to be through your Holy Spirit, that we serve a Savior that both died for us, but was raised to life for us. God, today we we look at a passage that just outlines a lot of things that we can be, but only if we rely on your Holy Spirit. So we ask today that you would allow us to be people of character, people that lead others and are led by others, people that are willing to influence in godly ways, in ways that you would require of us. Help us to see that this morning. Use the words I say to pierce hearts and minds that are here and convictions that, God, you would convict our hearts and our minds today. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. I'd like to welcome you here. Good morning. Someone said good morning, John, really loud. That was great. It was like one time at the end of a sermon, someone yelled, John! And I was like, it was up in the upper room. I'm using that term. You guys are in the upper room now, from now on. So this morning, we are starting a new series called Letters to Leaders. We're going to be in the book of Titus today. And some of you, if you know the pastoral epistles, know it follows First and Second Timothy and then Titus. We're starting in Titus today. There's a reason for that. I know, I, I, I messed with your heads a little bit because we're going through these three books. But we're going to start in Titus because we're going to learn today that if we follow Jesus, we're all called to be leaders. Every single one of us. Some of us don't like to lead. Some of us don't want to lead ever. But we're all called to take on leadership. But that leadership that we're called to take on is not what we generally see in the world. The leadership that Jesus is calling us to is based in service, humility, sacrifice, honor, integrity, character. It's others first, not me first. It's not beholden to a board of directors in a company that want to make more money. It's beholden to the Savior of the world. So if you have our app, you can go to the link at the top of the feed there, and you can click on that, and the, the notes and a version event is in there, and you can follow along. So today, really, we're just going to be talking about leading and being led. So usually, I'm up here and I preach, and today's actually going to be a little bit more teaching-oriented, because when we start this series, we have to realize that each one of us is, is a leader, each one of us is a leader in some way. You may not realize it. I didn't realize it until I was about 18 years old that my little brother wanted to be everything I wanted to be. Like when I wanted to do something, he wanted to do it. It, it was that way for a lot of years, well after that time. And I started realizing something that I think is most important. He's, I sat down with a man that was meeting with me about around that age. And he said to me, John... You're a leader. I was like, well, okay. He said, you can lead people in, in, in two different directions. There's really only two. I'm going to simplify it for you. It's not complicated. You can lead people to Jesus or away from Jesus by what you say, by what you do. And I was like, well, that's really heavy. Thank you very much. I'm 18. I don't really want to hear that today. But it, when it came down to it, something he said was true. And we all have an opportunity to lead someone somewhere. So the question really is, where are you leading people? 
And so some of the themes here we have in First and Second Timothy and Titus is that we're all called to lead. There's different types of leaders. Everyone thinks it is the, the mouthpiece is the leader, but that's not necessarily the leader. Warning, there's warnings against people changing God's truth. Like when we lead, part of our leading is not changing God's truth. Leaders are set apart. They're examples to be followed. This whole series is going to be on these three books about new, younger leaders. But here's the thing. When you hear younger, how, many, how old do you think someone is when you hear younger? You can say it. I want to answer. Someone say something. Younger? Come on. 25. Okay, I heard 25. What else? What's some others? Okay, we think Timothy was actually 40, okay? So younger was 40. So think about it, okay? Younger is a lot of age groups. It's not just like if you hear younger and you're like, I'm older than that, you actually might fall in the younger bracket. And so this letter is to all of us. This is a call to lead, influence, and be examples of the transformational power of Jesus Christ. It's not about anything else. It's about Jesus Christ. There, you're going to hear a lot of things today that might be, do this, don't do that. The reality is we can only do anything under the Holy Spirit's power. It can't be something that we just drudge through and push through. It just doesn't work that way. So we're going to start with this passage that is addressing the value of what is called intergenerational relationships. You know, my, my great-grandma is turning 99 on February 19th. I'm super excited that she's turning 99 because I don't know if I've ever known anyone that was 99. It's pretty exciting. I was like, this is cool. Intergenerational relationships. She FaceTimes me. This is the value of, of, of FaceTiming someone that's 99. I love my grandma, but she does this. If you know where the phone's pointed, I get a picture of her forehead and maybe her glasses. But here's the best part of it is, I'm talking to my grandma and I get to see video. And my kids get to see their great grandma and we're actually like having, having a decent conversation. The thing is, my kids do the same thing. So it's just, I mean, everyone FaceTimes with the, on their forehead. Here's the point of the passage today. Older people spending time with younger people, leading, mentoring, influencing, discipling across the generations. It's not just one generation. If I say that and you go, I have no one older in my life that has influenced me at all. I don't have a mother or father that's in my life right now. I don't have this. I don't have that. Chances are you need that. And if you're older and you're the patriarch or the matriarch of the family where you're the one that's influencing generations back, you still need someone in that same peer group to bounce ideas off of. So turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Verse 2. We're, gonna, we're just going to do one verse to start out. So Titus chapter 2, verse 2, says this. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And you're going to notice something. I'm going to kind of like summarize those last three together. But who are the older men? So I just said younger is really like could be anywhere from like 40 down, but it's really probably about 13. So if you're in the room and you're 13, 14 years old... Guess what? This is calling you a man. I know, that's scary, right? And parents, I know it's really scary because we have teenagers. But, but the reality is, the older men, are the, these men are 50, 60 years old, maybe potentially empty nesters, but they're older, they're wiser. They're not to the point where maybe there's, there's more health issues. It's just, that's where they're at. So what's being asked of them? Older men should be sober-minded. 
They should be clear-headed. They should not be heated. They shouldn't rush into things. You know when you're younger, you just rush into bad situations? You know, you just do. Dignified. Now, when I think of dignified, not to mention Hallmark two weeks in a row, but I think of a royal prince at a ball. You know, he's like, oh, I'm dignified, right? So what it really means is if you're worthy of respect or honor. Do younger people say to you do, that they respect you? Or do they say, or do, do younger, women, or younger men say to you, I don't really want to lose my passion like that guy. Do they say, I respect you, or do they say, I don't want to lose my passion like that guy? Self-controlled. This is the thing that wraps up the whole fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. It says, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. This means exactly what it says. But something I think we miss when we hear the word self-controlled is we don't realize it means to be thoughtful. And so men are to be thoughtful to others. It means thinking before we speak. Can I get an amen for how many times I've started an argument because I didn't think before I started it? With my wife? Okay. We need to be thoughtful. We need to understand what we're saying. This means not drinking that last drink that we know we shouldn't drink. It means not saying those words in anger. Self-control is holistic. That's probably the scariest thing for most of us is self-control, limiting ourselves. Because the, the message that we hear every day is more, more, more. Consume, consume, consume. Well, if you eat a Big Mac, you're going to feel better today. You won't, trust me, okay? Healthy in faith. The word sound here literally means healthy. We need to be spiritually and emotionally healthy. It means we are to follow the word of God, not straying to false teachers. We're always looking to the word of God on how to live. And it says in love and in steadfastness. I'm going to tell you this. Guys in the room, and women don't, don't like check out on this, but guys, why does it say in love always for men? Because we don't want to love. We'll respect someone else, but we struggle to love the people around us. We struggle to be steadfast. You notice it says steadfast? That, that means standing firm. Be a person of your word. Say, say, say it like this. Like Think, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. You know how many times I've had problems with FOMO where I have fear of missing out, and I'm like, oh, how do I get out of this? So I can go and do this other thing that I think is better, but I already committed to this person to do something. We need to be people that commit to things and stick to it. We live in a world where even the, the biggest commitment you can have in your life of marriage doesn't matter much anymore. Be steadfast. We're committed to Jesus and his cause. And let's get honest for a minute. Older is relative. When you're younger, when I was younger, I used to call people old that were older than me. I was like 21, and I had a friend that was 25. I'm like, you're old. Kids, you, you, if you're younger, you're like, you're old. You know? Like, older is relative, when you're younger, people even a year or two older than you are old. You know, my daughter thinks everyone's older than her, and she's in kindergarten. She thinks everyone's old. This list suggests a temptation that I, I think is very subtle. And, and if you go through the whole list there and you read through it, there's a temptation if you're older, if you're an older man, to be grumpy, cynical, pick arguments, and not want to give up your time. It's simple. That's what it is. Some people are pointing at people. Stop doing that. It's distracting. That's the temptation. 
Because we get older and we say, I know it all, or I got this, I understand this, and those kids aren't doing it the right way. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. I, I find myself doing that with people that are younger than me. Why are you doing it that way? So let's rise up, men, and live in a way where you're clear-headed, you're respected by others, self-controlled, thoughtful, and healthy following Jesus instead of telling everyone your way is the only way. Maybe, maybe there's a different way to drive to church, a different way to get here. Maybe there's a different way to do blank, whatever. Maybe it's not about the way you do it. It's about the results that you get. So continue with me in Titus 2, verse 3. Because men, now you're like, I want to be off the hook. There's a lot more about women here, specifically, starting in verse 3. It says, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and train, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. There's a lot of controversial stuff in this passage, considering our culture right now. And so I, I want everyone to know, before I even go into this section, you have to understand that Paul was in a culture where women were almost considered property. So some of the things he's saying here are incredibly liberating incredibly liberating in a Near East culture. And so the fact that he's even saying women in the same breath as men right here is a huge deal. And the fact that there's more verses on it says something about Paul's heart for the church. Women are also to lead in a similar but different way. Likewise, it's a pivot. That word likewise is a pivot to women and their opportunities to lead. So like the older men, who are the older women? 50 to 60-year-old empty nesters. What's being asked of them? Older women should be reverent in behavior. This means that your heart is near to God. You're taking the time to be near to God. You're honoring him with your actions. Not slandering. Slandering is talking bad about others that's not true. Gossip is, is speaking negatively about others, about things that potentially could be true. So it's something that happens when we cannot control our tongue. If we're reverent in behavior, all these other things are going to fall in line. So the reverent behavior is really the key right here, whereas self-control was the key for the men. So not slaves to wine. When we're mastered by something, we say things like this. I need a glass of wine tonight. I, I need to have a glass of wine after today. There's lots of memes on social media with a mom overexhausted from a day of kids driving them crazy, sitting there with a glass of wine like, I need this wine. Oh, come on, some people are smirking. You know it's true, okay? I've seen it over and over. But don't buy into the culture's lies. It's not like you need that. You don't need it. I'm not saying it's wrong, but you don't need it. Men, you're not really off the, off the hook because if you look in verse 2, it says, be sober-minded, so you can't be sober-minded if you're mastered by alcohol. You can't be clear-headed if you drink too much. It's simple. It doesn't mean moderation with alcohol is wrong. In fact, Scripture is clear don't be mastered by the created, but serve the creator. Sometimes we're mastered by created things, but we need to be mastered by the creator. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are 
what? Helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Don't be a slave to wine, but pursue the things of God. And as people get older, there's a tendency to care less about what others think, which I think is actually a positive thing in some senses, but it becomes an excuse to complain about what is wrong. And so instead of that, older women are asked to teach what is good. Instead of focusing on what's wrong in the world, focus on what's right. Do you know what sells in the news media? Bad news. You know, I've been glued to my phone about everything that's been happening in the international news lately. Because it's like, oh, what's going to happen next? It sells. But instead of focusing on how you would do things, we need to praise the good things that are happening. We cannot forget that God's ways are greater than our ways. We, we can't forget that. Older women are to teach and train younger women. That means you're supposed to lead, but you're supposed to lead with vulnerability and understanding. Both your actions and your words. We can't get lost. Men and women, this is, this is huge. We can't get lost on one or the other. We can't say all the right things and not do all the right things. It's a balance of the two. And I've been caught on either side of that balance. I've said I'm going to do something and I don't do it. And I've done something that I didn't say I was going to do. We've got to balance those. So it says lead younger women to love their husbands and kids. But if, if you think this is obvious, you've never sat in a room with a couple on the verge of divorce because it's hard work. It is hard work. We live in a world where our time is completely starving our marriages. It's starving our parenting. We're starving the most important relationships either for career, hobbies, whatever it is. This is something that needs to be modeled by your actions and words. And then guess what? I guess we're going to go into self-control again. It just says be self-controlled. Be self-controlled. This is the second mention and not the last. If, if this was something to highlight in your Bible, if you have your Bible open, you want to highlight be self-controlled. This is probably the most important thing in the entirety of Scripture. When I look at what does God call us to do, it's the last fruit of the Spirit. It's the one that ties all those together. It's the one that is asked of older men, younger women, older men, everybody. Everybody, be self-controlled. And then it says, be pure, not be corrupted by the world. Simple way to apply this is assuming the best about others rather than the worst. When you hear something's happened to someone, is the first thing you think the most negative possible response. It's a constant struggle. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Every day when we hear something, if we know a person well enough, we go, hmm, this is really how it happened. But the reality is, we don't. Be pure. Okay. Now I'm to the most controversial part of this passage. Well, second most controversial. So it's working in the home. It's controversial in our current culture to say that a wife or a mother should work in the home. This means, it, it doesn't mean what you think it is. It means that you should have a priority to care for your family and home. It doesn't mean you don't have a career. Okay? Simple as that. Working at home is counter to being lazy at home. It's also to fight the temptation of being over busy in other areas. I know that's a temptation of mine, so I can't even imagine if I spent all my time with my kids, I would go crazy. You see me come up here and I'd hear voices. I'd just be going crazy. I, I get it. 
But the thing is, and here's the core of what that means, don't look for the life beyond that life that God's given you because he's already given you the life that's already blessed. He's given you a life that's blessed. And it's, it's the lie of social media that if I can be like blank, whoever that is on social media, if I can be like so-and-so, I can have a life different than mine. It's escapism. It's fantasy. We want, we want something that's not ours. And in our, our culture, there, here's the other temptation, is in our culture, we ask people, and this defines our identity, even though that's not truly our identity, it defines our identity, we ask people the same question. What do you do? What do you do for a living? What do you do? And one of the first questions I keep getting asked is that same question or some form of that question. And if someone asks you that and you say, I stay at home, there's only a few things I've thought of. I, I talked through my wife with this a little bit, and I was like, so, so I stay at home. It can be a letdown or make you feel like a nobody, but I want to tell you something this morning. This is what's most important. In the home, whether you're a man, woman, whoever you are, what you're doing is kingdom work. It's kingdom work. That's, that, we we got to get lost on what the world says. It's far from nothing. It's countercultural. The Christian faith as a whole is countercultural. When you're investing in kids, grandkids, in generations, if you're even single and you're investing in your home by, by being there, cleaning things up, organizing, that's kingdom work. There's a reward for that. It's not something that should be put off to the side. Because the world says you have to do something outside the home to have value. And yet God says what you do in the home has value. The next part is says kind. And I firmly believe this is in response to said, what's said right before it. Be kind, not turning to bitterness about the role that wives and mothers have to nurture the family. I know that my wife can get my kids to bed way better than I can. I know it. Because what I do at bedtime is, if I have to come back in here, that's the first thing I say, if I have to come back in here. I never heard her say that. If I have to come back in here, there is a role to nurture the family. Be kind. So now it gets to the most controversial part of the passage. I kind of I smirk because... We get to this point, and Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this, and it also talks about it here, being submissive to their husbands. So older women teaching younger women to be submissive to their husbands. And the reasoning is so that the word of God is not disrespected. This is the most controversial section of this passage because men and women are equal in value but have different roles. Men and likewise women are called to lead. Hear this. If you hear anything from me, I know I'm a man standing up here, but I'm telling you, you are called to lead Husbands are self-controlled and loving. Submission's just easier. So husbands, love your wives. Care for them. Actually listen. Just this week, I, I was really challenged one day. Because my wife told me something, and the next day I already forgot, okay? Any of you guys do that? Yep, okay. Just checking, I'm not the only one. And she said to me, I told you yesterday, and I realized that it really hurt her, even though it was something small. But I realized in my life, the most important person in my life, sorry guys, it's not you, it's my wife. And if I can't even listen to my wife, how am I ever going to listen to any of you? I need to be listening to my wife. And so men, love 
your wives, be self-controlled. Our culture tells us that we can be whatever we want, but I'm here to tell you, each of us was born with unique gifts from God, a biological gender, genes from our parents, a sin nature that says I will never submit to anybody. We don't think we can, there's no submission. Genesis 3 talks about this. From the beginning of time, the first man and woman, they were cursed because of sin. And then at that point, that part of that curse was that wives would be opposed to their husbands. God's word already talks about, hey, guess what? You're going to get in arguments. You know when I do premarital, I go, well, this won't be the last argument we have, okay? We all have limitations. And that's why there's the body of Christ and the family unit. Men, we have limitations. Have you ever told your family, like, I'm only good at certain things? You know, recently I was watching this documentary on one of these guys that's one of the smartest people in the world. He's got... I think it's like 12 postgraduate degrees. Like he's got all these master's degrees, got a PhD in different fields. And he sits there and he says, well, I'm good at these things, but I can't even fix my stove. Think about it. The smartest person in the world can't fix his stove. It's like we have limitations. And that's why there is the body of Christ. And that's why there is the family unit. But if older women, older and younger, rise up and live the fruit of the Spirit, this would really wouldn't be controversial. It would be simple. Likewise, if men, older and younger, rise up and live the fruit of the Spirit, our wives would consider it a joy to submit to us. And submission is not putting you under their thumb. It's, it's lovingly making decisions together. And men, when we fail, we say we failed. We don't say our wives failed because they gave us that advice. Because we're the ones that are leading in that. Our wives should consider it a joy to submit to us. And then Titus 2.6, it ends with younger men kind of get off the hook, but it's all encompassing. It's all encompassing here. I, I think what's interesting about what it says about younger men is it says the thing that is everything. It's the thing that encompasses this whole passage. It says in verse 6, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. This must be really important. Circle it. Highlight it. Self-controlled. And then it says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That is the best feeling in the world. Nothing evil to say about you. I, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like if the church had everyone around it having nothing evil to say about it. Because when you go in the news, the first thing you hear is about a pastor that did blank. What did the pastor do? What, did, what, what happened wrong? And so, who's this younger, younger men? 13 plus. So, if you're above the age of 13 and you're a man, you're a man, okay? The younger men should be self-controlled. Third mentioned. Okay, I'm not condoning this, but maybe some of us should get this tattooed on our arm. Okay, be self-controlled. So when we're not being self-controlled, we can look at our forearm and go, oh, Titus 2.6, oh, man, be self-controlled. This is important. Young and old, we're to be self-controlled, thoughtful, and sacrificial towards each other. I can tell you the first thing I want to do is not be sacrificial. Like, I don't want to go home and right away take care of my kids. I don't want to do that. But I know that's what God's calling me to. And through the Holy Spirit, we can do that. There's a cultural problem with self-control. That as one author put it, he put it this way. 
Western culture values self-expression, self-expression instead of self-control, self-fulfillment instead of self-denial, independence instead of submission. We want to be expressed however we want to express ourselves instead of being controlled about it. We want fulfillment in ourselves rather than denying ourselves. We want independence instead of submission. You know why there's a commitment problem with younger men? I'm convinced it's an issue of independence. It's a value our culture holds. We're independent. We're Americans. And we lose sight of the fact that everything as God's calling us to is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. And we lose sight of that. So wives submitting to their husbands, men being self-controlled is countercultural. You want to be the person that isn't like everyone else? Be self-controlled. Simple as that. Be self-controlled. But self-control sets up everything else. It's foundational to the Christian faith. Young men, guess what? Grow up. Just stop it. Grow up. It's not good advice to just say, just stop it, by the way, okay? Just grow up. Take your life seriously. Take your faith seriously. You need to be responsible. An author put it this way, and I, I can't say this better, and that's why I'm quoting this. I can't say this better. Our society first infantilized, which basically made, made an infant of the teenage years, now has done the same for the 20s. There's no room in the church for yourself for two or more decades beginning, before you start beginning to live the biblical picture of a man. You know, we're going to see people that are living with their parents at 30. Have you ever seen the movie Failure to Launch? It's really scary. As a parent, I don't want my kids living with me when, I'm, when they're 30, okay? There is something about, we can't wait, men. We have to grow up. And if you're not grow up, if, if you're married and your wife is elbowing you right now and saying, hey, grow up, and you're 50, you can't wait two decades. Come on. You can't wait. It's right now. And then it says, show yourself. This is everybody. It goes from young men to show yourself. This is everyone in the church. In every respect, be a complete model of the following things. Good works. I can't do anything separate from Christ. I'd probably be in a basement drinking myself to death with Legos if it weren't for Jesus Christ. I mean... I'm serious. I know you guys find that funny because you know how I like Legos. But we're supposed to teach some things. Teach integrity. Teach what is incorruptible. This is being incorruptible. Are you teaching others the true, pure word of God? You know, is the first thing out of your mouth something negative about someone else? Or is the first thing like, man, I need to tell them this because this is what the word of God says and it will encourage them. We're supposed to teach dignity. You know, in the world right now, basically, stuff that's been happening for centuries is finally coming to roost. And everyone's looking over their shoulders. Celebrities are wondering, am I going to get arrested or am I going to lose my job because something I did 20 years ago? The reality is none of us is perfect, but if we give dignity to other people, we are worthy of respect and we give other people the respect they deserve because God has given that to them. This is especially because of our behavior. If we live a life set apart as a leader, it means giving dignity and living with integrity. That's hard. 
sound speech. This means to have healthy words. You know, I, I live in a house with, with younger kids, and there's a lot of bad words that are not really bad words to old people, okay? So everything is a bad word. Like, we can't, of course, you shouldn't name call, right? So any name that we could call someone, and some of them are really absurd. I mean, they come up with the most absurd names that I'm like, that's a name call? I thought that's like an encouragement. What, what is this? We need to have healthy words, correct words. If this is true of you, no one will have anything to say evil about you. I think, I think that's the struggle because we get on these rabbit trails. We get distracted and we get in these conversations that are not nearly as healthy as we thought they were when they started. And so we need to have sound speech. If people are saying evil things about you, you don't need to defend yourself. They will be shown wrong by God. If you have integrity, there's no reason to open your mouth and defend yourself. Doesn't that sound like something that's the opposite of the anxious world we live in? Because we're anxious about things and things change and we don't know how to, we don't know how to do things. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And it's oppositional. The people, the people that are going to respond to us, it's the people of God versus those opposed to God. So I think the reason I put this up here is that I think we have to realize this. We're, if, you, if you're following Jesus Christ and you're following the Holy Spirit in your life, you are the people of God versus those opposed to God. I didn't say those opposed to the people of God. I said those opposed to God. So you have to realize your battle is not with that person. That's where you can give them dignity. You can deal with the situation with integrity. They're opposed to God. They are not opposed to you. If you're living with character, that is the way it is. If you have these attributes, you're working on them to teach and model leading with your words and your actions. You don't need to worry about this. I mean, I've had people cuss me out because I'm talking to them about Jesus. Like, I know they're not mad at me. They're just opposed to God. It's different. God is in the business of activating us for ministry for others. It's for others. It's not for ourselves. We flip, we flip and flop. So, like, look at this. There's many things we do in life that sound like they're for other people. Certain people follow careers that are for other people. The true thing that is for other people is when you don't get anything in return. That's really hard, isn't it? Even as a pastor, sometimes I get things in return, right? And so, so how do I live a life that is not expecting anything in return because Jesus did that first with me? While we were still sinners, he died for us. Think about that. He didn't wait until we were fixed. So what? So, so what? Okay, we get, to the, we get to the end of these verses and we're like, okay, so what do we do now, Pastor John? What, what, what are we going to do? I'm going to keep it really, really simple. If you're young, and that, here inside that young, that could be anybody almost. If you're young, find someone to lead you. Don't, get, don't think your independence matters more than following Jesus. Your independence is rebellion against a God that loves you. So if you are young, find someone to lead you. If you're old, find someone to lead. Don't leave church today without finding someone. I'm not, saying, I'm not telling you you have to. I'm not setting up a situation for you to. But I'm telling you, think about it. That's probably the most important thing you can do. It, you, no matter who you are, we're all called to be leaders. And we're all leading in something. Remember what that older gentleman said to me when I was 18? He said, 
you're, you're, John, you're going to have people that go towards Jesus or away from Jesus. You're either, they're either going to follow Jesus because of you or they're going to run away from Jesus because of you. And I took that to heart because I realized no matter what I'm doing, I'm leading. No matter what I'm doing, I'm leading. If I'm lazy, I'm leading. If I'm an obsessed 49er fan, they won yesterday, by the way. I'm leading. There's only one of you out here, so it's okay. If I choose to not do something, I'm sure one of you would tell me. If I choose, if some Sunday I just don't show up to church and I'm not preaching and the elders come to me and they're like, dude, what did you do this morning? I'm like, huh, sorry, there was a football game on. That's me leading, right? I'm leading somewhere. So if you're somewhere in between, guess what? Do both. I'm sorry, I'm in between. I gotta do both. My whole life has been, been finding older people that can spend time with me and younger people that I invest in. I remember in, in college, I had a friend named Matt. And Matt was a guy that his, his parents were going through a divorce at the time. His, his mom and dad kind of were just fighting. He was living with his dad in an apartment. And I used to do things like, hey, Matt, you want to go to the grocery store? My mom told me I have to get some groceries because I was still living at home. And I was like, he's like, yeah, let's go. We'd go to the grocery store. And then we'd do something else. And then eventually we found ourselves in Modesto, California at the, the library one time. And we bought a ton of, you ever had Jack in the Box? Uh, they have breakfast jacks. They're on the West Coast. So these little sandwiches, they basically have ham, egg, cheese, and a bun, like a burger bun. We bought a bunch of those and we fed the homeless, like just us, because we just wanted to. He was in high school, I was in college. We just said, hey, we're going to go to the library and we know there's a lot of homeless there and we're going to do this. Discipleship is not a science. It's something you live. Leading is something you live. You choose, you make intentional decisions based on the future, what's going to happen in the future. So how do we do that? We set an example. We open our lives up to others. We take people into the normal day-to-day activities. We see, let others see our marriages and realize that we're not perfect, but also we want to pursue Jesus in that. We let other people see our parenting. Scary. We give people the opportunity to learn life skills from us. There are so many people, and some of you are, may, might be in this room, that did not have any parenting as a child, that you've learned everything that you, you want to model as an adult from other people besides your parents. And I want to tell you, that's what the body of Christ is for. That is what the body of Christ is for. When you don't have that model, church, we need to step in as family. The other thing, the other thing, how are we going to do this? Teach the gospel to others. If we're not teaching others to be spiritually and emotionally healthy, there's no better time to start than now. There's no better time to start than now. And I want to tell you, this is not some rah-rah speech that we leave here and we do any, we don't do anything. I'm telling you right now that if you feel unhealthy in some way, you need to talk to someone about it. Rather than just saying, I'm going to be unhealthy, I'm going to do me and I'm going to get through this. Because that's the first thing I want to do as a guy. I don't want to call someone for help. I want to check YouTube, okay, and see if I can fix it. But Jesus calls us to go seek out things. 
If you're young, find someone to lead you. The scariest thing you can do is ask someone older than you to lead you, to mentor you, to encourage you, to disciple you, whatever word you want to use, influence you. Scary. And you know what? If you're old, find someone to lead. You know what? I don't know why, but it's something scary. I've seen this over and over. When I have been taking the initiative to ask someone older than me to meet with me on a regular basis or do something with me, they're scared. Older people, why are you so scared of younger people? Don't be scared. Approach them. Go after them. Pursue them. Because they need us. We, we need to be pursuing. You, if you're old, find someone to lead. And if you're somewhere in between, in between do both. I can't encourage you more that this series is going to be for all of us. You may think, today, I'm not a leader. I'll tell you what. The only people that say they're not leaders are people that really need to be in a relationship with someone leading them and encouraging them. So if that's you today, just say, hey, I need someone, someone to help me. And I'm willing to ask, okay, I'm going to ask you to do something. This is more just because it's important. At the end of the service, we're going to, we're going to sing another song. We're going to pray. We're going to close the service. This morning, talk to someone else about this. Maybe you don't find a person to do this with. Maybe, maybe you just, I don't know. Pastor John, I don't really know what to do with about this. Find someone. Maybe it's someone just in your family that you want to spend more intentional time with. One of my goals this year is to spend more time with my kids individually. Because I spend a lot of time with all of them. And it's hard to spend time with them individually. Set, 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 set some goals. You know, last week we talked about memorials past. Let's talk about the future, about what God's going to do. And God is going to move through this church if we follow him by leading others and by being led by others. It's as simple as that. We need to build trust with each other, encourage each other. Take, take a jump. Just jump. You know, my kids do this all the time and I can't stand it. They get in the bottom bunk of the bed and they just jump off. And it, it makes this big noise. Just take that jump today. Just do it. Don't, don't, don't wait. <laughs> because the moment you leave here, you're thinking about lunch and you're thinking about what's happening Tuesday and everything else. Today, find someone to lead you and find someone to lead. Simple as that. Maybe it's someone you don't even, haven't even heard their name yet. So introduce yourself to someone new. Say, hey, can we go to lunch? Can we go to breakfast? Can we do an afternoon meeting? Uh, whatever. Do something. There's no program for it. Anyone can do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask this morning just that you, you would guide us as a church so that we can lead others and encourage others and influence others just because, God, we have your Holy Spirit. Just because we have a Savior that died and was raised to life for us. Help us to live a life like him. A life of quiet influence. A life in pursuit of Jesus. God, there are so many things that are hard. There's so many situations that are difficult. We live in a world with 
with a lot of family dysfunction. Lord, help us to be a church full of, full of functional family. And I mean that the whole church. We're always going to be dysfunctional. Help us to pursue you. Pursue the Holy Spirit moving in our lives so that we can lead others in ways that we never dreamed possible. Because God, you are greater than us. Your ways are greater than our ways. And Lord, we just pray that this week you would move in our minds and our hearts to change us. Let us not get caught up in the busyness of the week, but let us focus on the most important time of our week when we're leading others, when we're encouraging others, when we're influencing others to pursue Jesus with all that they are. We say all this in Jesus' name.